1: Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your life sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.
0: Welcome to This League Uncut. In the world of 24-hour NBA news, this news, you lose. Chris Hayes. Showtime! Mark Stein, it's showtime! boom Shakalaka! This League Uncut is underway and on fire!
1: This should be a good one. Everybody, welcome in to a live edition of the This League Uncut podcast. I'm Mark Stein. On the end, of course, Turner Sports, Chris Haynes. We host... The This League Uncut podcast twice a week, but we don't get to do it like this too often. Live at All-Star Weekend here in Indianapolis on the NBA crossover stage. And we have a guest of honor. In about seven, eight hours, he'll be coaching the Western Conference All-Stars from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Coach Chris Finch. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's a... That
2: an ovation right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Minnesota, 39-16, and 16, number one seed in the West. You were an eighth seed last season. You're coaching the Western Conference All-Stars. I'm guessing this is just how you drew it up <laughs> back in October when you guys were well, in training camp and planning this season out.
3: Well, not exactly. We thought we'd be a lot better than last year. We, we figured we could really make a push to have a home court playoff spot. And um, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully that's where it continues to shake out. Uh, but we had a really, really good start of the season. I think we jumped out seventeen and four. Um, played pretty good basketball since then too to keep our nose in front. Um, but the guys have been been great. They've been locked in. Defense has been the key. Uh, they really enjoy playing with each other. Um, we've got good depth, great flexibility. You know, a lot we have been relatively healthy. You know, where last year we we were not. Um, so all the things point in the right direction. And, and then most importantly, you know, when you make the type of deal we made last year to bring in Rudy, like these things just take time. They just do. I mean, it's just said it time and again, you know, LeBron goes to Miami, takes them a a year, you know, to figure it out. Um, there's a lot of things that you got to learn about each other. A lot of roles have to adjust and our guys have done that. And we've seen that kind of coming slowly. And then, like anything else, it just kind of all comes together at one time. When and where in your career was the last time you coached an All-Star game? I um, G League coached the G League All-Star team my first year. I think that would have been 2010, maybe. Uh, it was in Dallas. Remember they had the snowstorm? Um, and by the way, the G League All-Star game might be the best game here all weekend because they all play, because yeah. they're all being scouted by the front offices who, are, mm-hmm. who stop by. And it might be the most competitive game uh, of the entire weekend. And we only had one day of snow here in Indianapolis, but Dallas was nonstop
1: snow and hard, hard for people to get to.
3: Yeah, it kind of messed up the, uh, the whole weekend. I, after the, I, well, I coached in the game, but I don't think I left the hotel bar the rest of the weekend. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> Now, we're having a good time here in Indianapolis. It's not quite the worst all-star weekend for me was Toronto. 2000. Oh. What year was that, Stein? 16. 2016. 2016. What? What did the temperature get? I don't know what the number was, but it
3: was way colder yeah, than this.
2: Yeah, it, it, we, we didn't step outside not once. Finch, I have to hit you with the hard hitting question right now. Look, I just to
3: say, I, I was at that. All-Star Game 2 worked uh, on behalf of the NBA with basketball down borders. Um, And I can remember the lake freezing. You could see the lake freezing, like, in 100-yard segments almost in front of our eyes.
2: Usually All-Star Weekend myself, I like to hit up all the shoe events, all the parties, and uh, what else? You know, just all the brunches that's going on, didn't hit not one of them up that that (laughs) weekend. It it was that serious. But Finch, you're not getting it out of this question. All right. Hard-hitting question right here with LeBron James not showing up to practice yesterday, are you bringing him off the bench tonight
3: uh, heck no I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying to keep my job so <laughs> yeah
2: no, I was, I was, we were talking a little bit before before we start recording like I would think for most coaches like once you get that NBA head coaching job that you know on the bucket list is to you know coach an all star game at one point because that means your team is having success and has the best record leading up to the all-star break. But I would imagine, like, after you get one, as you've seen with the commitments you, you probably have, after you get one, you probably want you know your all-star break to yourself after that. Like, what's what's been the experience like for you?
3: It's been a great experience. I mean, it's um, a lot of really kind of cool individual experiences come up and just being able to bring, you know, friends, family, you know, close ones, into the event and they they all get a special experience too it's and then there's a lot of waiting in between you know Mm -hmm. the next the next things that happen um but it it i've enjoyed the downtime you know Mm -hmm. i took a nap yesterday i never do that slept in for a while today i I never do that that. Uh, the mental break is from the grind of the season is just as important as the physical you know uh, a lot of people would like to get get away go to the beach go wherever they go you know i think we get in trouble and these if we take these things for granted, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think we get in trouble um, if we, you know, if we don't really try to enjoy them. So next year we're assured that we can't be here Mm -hmm. um, regardless, but, you know, as long – the great thing about being here is it means your team's playing really, really well, and that's most important. You made a bit of a
1: Twitter splash yesterday with your reaction to Anthony Edwards' lefty threes in practice. They did not go well in the skills competition. What are the chances that you're going to let him hoist a lefty three tonight in this game? Can you stop him? if He, <laughs> he,
2: he said he's shooting lefty all game.
3: Yeah, we're going to have a conversation about that. <laughs> I think in the spirit of heightening the competition around the game, yeah. which I know the league is really pushing everyone to do, um, we, uh, we need to get him to shoot right-handed. But he is, a, he is a left-handed player. He likes to attack left-handed. He likes to mm-hmm. finish left-handed. Um, he might be, un, you know, even unbeknownst to him, left-handed. He shoots it pretty well left-handed. Um, and he's been pushing me to want to shoot one in a game, a real game. A real game. Yeah. And um, so I said, okay, if you, make, uh, if you make three out of five, you know, you can do that. Yeah. And he, he made four out of five. So, um, <laughs> okay, okay. But, you know, Anthony's got, he got an incredible amount of confidence, thinks he can do whatever he puts his mind to. And most of the times he can
2: yeah. Well, when you think about – Anthony Edwards, we were talking about him um, potentially shoot left-handed jump shots. Let's talk about the the competition level of the All Star Game. Like, do you feel as an obligation um, to to get the guys to play harder? What what has been the message for you with the team going into this game?
3: Yeah, I do feel an obligation that we we put on the um, mo- the most competitive show we can. Um, I know the league is is really uh, pushing the players, and uh, you know we had a, a meeting. Um, with the league a week or so ago where they went through some of the points of emphasis of the weekend. And that was certainly one is like kind of bringing the competition back. I think one of the reasons they went back to East West is that hopefully it would infuse some natural rivalry between the game, uh, within the game between the players. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the player's willingness to do it traditionally. And when we were growing up, you know, these games would kind of grow into a competitive, uh, you know, competition fourth quarters would probably be you know m- more like a regular NBA game. So, yeah, I'm, I think there's a little bit of anxiety about how how this is going to go tonight. I think if if people would be honest with themselves, but um, I'm I'm hopeful that the guys you know bring it and compete. What realistically
1: as a coach
3: can you say to these guys
1: in terms of defense? What kind of defensive messaging will there be pregame or during a timeout? What do you think you can really
3: I mean, tell them. I mean, you just you're going to you can tell them to try to play some defense. You know, I mean, it's we're not going to be scheme based. We, you know, we're not going to be out there with any kind of great philosophy. It just comes down to your level of individual competitiveness. You know, you don't want it to get to the point where it's you, it, it's too cool to play defense, you know, where everything's too cool. You don't want to try, where people feel like it's, you know, it's not cool to try hard. Um, and I uh, don't think. That looks good or feels good for anybody. I'm sure in the beginning, um, there'll be a lot of like feeling it out tonight and and then somebody's gonna have to set the tone. You know, some of the players gonna have to go out and set the tone offensively and defensively, and that'll wake up the rest of the troops, I'm sure. Defense has
1: been such a big part of your success with the Wolves this season. I'm sure you're thrilled to have two of your own players on the Western Conference All-Stars, but Rudy Gobert is not here. I thought Rudy Gobert should have been an All-Star. How hard do you think he's taking it that he did not get selected? Because you guys have the number one D in the league, top-ranked defense, and he's obviously a huge part
3: yeah, of Yeah, we we thought he was uh, deserving of an All-Star um, nomination for sure. Uh, he was disappointed. We were disappointed for him. Uh, but in true Rudy style, you know, he's used it as great motivation. He's played some of his best basketball ever uh in the last several weeks since uh being snubbed so to speak so for us you know we're we're kind of happy that he's he's (laughs) he's on a beach somewhere just relaxing and seething somewhere seething and relaxing (laughs) fueling up for what's going to be a heck of a stretch run i know he's got his his you know his sights set on bigger and better things for him and us and that's what's most important so
2: coach i've heard that. other years prior I don't know if it's happened to you but I, I'll ask but there have been times where other coaches where they have their players participate in all-star games they'll actually contact the coach that's coaching that game and tell them hey don't play my guy too, beat to yeah. like li- li- leave him alone H- has any coaches contacted you about playing time that
3: has not happened okay. tough, you know but the players have been pretty you know pretty open and about what they want to do you know we, we kind of checked in where how, you know how are you feeling what, you know what's your body like where are you at um you know and so they've given us a gauge of where they think that they'd like to play who so. wants to play the most oh no i that's, this is <laughs> these are private conversations um you'll you'll know in a few hours you'll know, yeah. yeah you'll know in a few hours so.
2: I mean, what if he played lebron like 40 minutes today <laughs> how would darvin feel
3: i think uh i think lebron's gonna tell me <laughs> what how much yeah, he wants to play you're probably
4: so. right yeah you're probably right there
1: I'd like to go back many, many years because I was fortunate to meet you. I think it's 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 almost 25 years ago now. You were coaching the Sheffield Sharks in England after playing for the Sheffield Sharks. Nick Nurse was coaching the Manchester Giants. I love to tell people that I discovered the both of you, but that's really kind of an exaggeration. Our mutual friend, Ian Whittle, a journalist in England at the time, he was he was really the only journalist in England or pretty much the only journalist who was covering basketball. And he introduced me to both you guys now. And I didn't ask too many questions cause I was just getting to meet the both of you. But had I really put the full court press on you back in 1999, what would you have said was your vision for your career? What were you hoping
3: to accomplish at that point? Well, I think, you know, I, my, I just thought I'd come back and be coaching in college, probably in small colleges, you know, that's always been my background. We grew up in a small college environment. I didn't have a big network. Certainly in Division One, I didn't have any real network into the NBA. At that point in time, I mean, I was just focused. On, I was so young then, um, probably around you know around about thirty, uh, the beginning of my career, just trying to you know win the British Basketball League every se- every single season, um, and then go from there. And that, that's really it. I, I, I did have a few kind of things happen in my career, like things that didn't happen. Actually, I had a high school job back in Reading, Pennsylvania is, that I didn't get. I was offered the job, and then it kind of took it away from me for political reasons at the last moment before I was even allowed to start. It's a long story, but it's not important. And then I had another really tiny um, job offer, finalist for a job, a small school in upstate New York, um and I would have had to take a massive pay cut to do it. But just an effort to get home. I just wanted to get home. And neither of those things happened for me. And had they happened, I wouldn't be sitting here. You know, I would be either a high school coach teaching in Pennsylvania or I'd be, you know, on some small college career path right now or whatever. Um, but when those things didn't turn out for me, I thought, well, what am I doing? Like I'm 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 on a good path here in Europe. I need to like maximize this opportunity. So then I switched gears. I was like, okay, I want to get, to, I want to get out to the bigger and better leagues. I want, when I went to Germany, I want to eventually get to Spain. I want to get to these top-level countries. So that's what I set my sights on. And when I did that, everything changed for me. Went to Germany but got fired. Then had to rebuild my career in Belgium. And that was actually kind of the blessing in disguise because the team there had a lot of money. We were able to play in the European leagues. We did well in the European leagues. And then it started to snowball from there. And what do you think got you on the NBA radar? Well, I know Sam, Sam Hinkie got me on the NBA radar. Um, they were when they launched their their D League in, in initiative in Rio Grande. They were taking over basketball operations, basically implementing the baseball model. Mm-hmm. And um, they just wanted somebody that had a totally different profile from what they were looking for, and unbeknownst to me at the time they wanted somebody who played fast inefficient basketball which we were doing in europe not because we were more smart or ahead of the curve just because these were the types of players i could afford you know guys who could shoot threes underside centers that would played fast you know i couldn't afford to compete in the european leagues against these big centers and these more rugged teams because we didn't have that type of money um so we built these fast teams that shot a lot of threes and they started looking for somebody, and my name kept coming up. And Sam Hinkey has a philosophy that if he hears something from more than one person, he investigates it. And whether it be a book, a movie, some sort of TED Talk, whatever it might be, you know, he, he, he's like, okay, what's going on here? So he reached out to me after summer league. I was guest coach. Donnie Nelson was kind enough, was one of my few contacts because he's so prevalent in Europe and his scouting had, had invited me to be a guest coach with the Dallas Mavericks, and at summer league that year, um, Sam reached out and explained what they were looking for and asked if I'd be interested. And I said sure. So, and that's that's kind of how it all happened. And so, Sam, Daryl Morey, Gerson Rosas, you know those that that triumphant was really kind of the. The, the crew that brought me to the league. And, and now, almost 20 years later, you're coaching the
1: West All-Stars and you're a Tibbsian defense-first coach. What happened to you?
3: What happened <laughs> I've to you? always liked defense. Just, you know, somehow along the way, I got tabbed to being an offensive guy. That's what they wanted me to do in Houston. When I went there, they said, okay, we're going to go to the G League. We're going to tinker around with this stuff. Um, and we're going to see what we can do and how far we can push the envelope offensively um, down there. And it was one of the things I kind of like Gave me pause before I took the job because I thought it was like it's gonna be a circus act, you know. It was what kind of I want to play? I'm a basketball coach, you know. I don't want to just do crazy things. So um, now
2: crazy things are in.
3: Yeah, crazy <laughs> things. Are, I mean, look how the the <laughs> games revolutionized, and um, you know everybody kind of plays that way. But when we, when we first made it to the league, probably only eight, ten teams were playing with pace, you know, valuing shot selection, and, and then of you know once Golden State kind of hit their stride everything just exploded from there so
2: you've been around a bunch of head coaches and i'm curious your perspective on this um you know you have coaches that are great at x's and o's you got coaches that are great at communicating you got coaches that aren't great at communicating um but when you're coaching the nba level what is the balance that you think That you have to have in order to be successful in like commanding the respect of the locker room, um, not losing guys and being efficient. Like what what are what are the features you need to have?
3: I would say for me, it's 70, 30. You have the 70, 30, um, 70 in in the man management, you know, Mm -hmm. just the relationship with the players, controlling the environment, managing a staff, holding everybody accountable. Um, You know, the X's and O's part is probably 30 percent for me. Uh, Staffs are so big now that we can have so many guys specialize in all the X's and O's. You know, we have Mm -hmm. offensive, defensive guys. We have special teams guys. We have player development guys. I have a staff broken down into transition coach, a pick and roll coach, almost like football model, right?
2: teams and all, yeah. Yeah.
3: And I like that because it gives those guys like overview, accountability, ownership over something, empowers them in that space. Then it's easy for me to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. Hey. You're supposed to be in charge of this. We're not good enough at that. And then I just can kind of like check in with the players and make sure that the mood is right, and you know, manage the roster and deal with the front office and all that stuff. And and then when come meeting time, we sit down and we all we all lay it out on the table. And of course, it's my job to make the final decisions. Um, but I got a great staff. Trust them implicitly. But yeah, if if, if they're not really good at the X's and O's part. I can't be really good at all the other things, and hmm. these jobs right now are so big, they're way more about leadership than they are about basketball. Is that something you learn? One of my first encounters with Greg Popovich, uh, I was coaching one of his young kind of draft picks for the national team of Great Britain, hmm. um, Ryan Richards, I don't remember. I remember yeah, remember yeah. yeah. him. And uh, he had come over and yep. had a, to watch a, a tournament in London, and you might have been actually been there, France was there, and Spain. It was in 2011, the summer before the Olympics, and I had a tiny little interaction with him, talking about Ryan, and we were talking about the jobs, and he he said that to me. He said the job is way more about leadership than it's about basketball, and it always stuck with me. And then um, just being on, you know, being in it, he's 100 percent right. You know? Wow, I'm glad you brought up the Olympics because
1: just what was that like? Obviously, you were an American. Nick Nurse was on your staff. You guys are Americans, but you had been in England for so long to coach Great Britain in the Olympics, in London, Lou Aldang. just, what are your thoughts when you just think back on that whole experience?
3: Well, it's not too dissimilar to this weekend, this experience, you know, I've never in my wildest dreams thought it would happen, um, you know, with our history, Nick and I, our history of the England is a huge affinity for basketball there, and obviously, you know, our most formative years were there, we feel kind of almost like citizens, you know, it was such a special place to know, in our heart for the country and the people in the basketball game there. But it was one, again, surreal experience after another. I mean, met the prime minister, met the queen. Um, really? Yeah. And how, how was that? What was meeting the queen like? It was incredible. And Nick and I, it was, uh, so the Olympics opened on Friday night, the opening ceremony. Saturday morning, we, we were like in our apartment and I got a knock on the door and guys sends like hey the queen's coming through to view her uh you know basically dormitory block where all the british athletes were were living and she wants to meet a half a dozen coaches and a half a dozen athletes and most of the people were out like they're out training they're out wherever and so nick and i were able to a little receiving line she comes down super gracious you know somebody with her with her presence. Do you bow. I don't even yeah, know. Um it like? uh, you don't bow, no. <laughs> you, you just kind of put your hands behind your back and wait for her to talk to you and there's all these protocols, you know. I tell a story a lot. So. so coaching LeBron is nothing. You've met the Queen. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um,
2: you got to bow LeBron, huh?
3: Yeah, but the like she makes you she made you feel incredibly at ease, which is quite, you know, quite uh, quite a quite the talent when you're, you know, dealing with somebody like the Queen. But the best part was Prince she said, "Oh, and what do you do?" I said, "I coach basketball." She said, "Oh, that makes sense. You're very tall. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know all the usual things that some Stereotype. some grandmother would say to you." Coach. Yeah, she <laughs> did. She stereotyped me. Well, Nick Nurse was there, and Prince Philip, her husband, was right behind. And she said, "Oh, what do you? Oh, you must be the wrestling coach." At the time, <laughs> the time Nick was carrying about 25 extra pounds than he is right now. Yeah. So we we always laugh about that. Oh, so. But in my office, I have that picture of Nick and I both with the uh, with the queen so and then just to get to the games and that you know growing up like the olympics were like this i mean I, we didn't miss them when we were growing up with just they thought this is an incredible sporting event and then as you get into professional sports you become so cynical about everything right like yeah. and then when it, it all changed when i was able to be in the olympics this incredibly pure sporting event um and we know it's not pure but as athletes in the village it was an incredible uh, incredible time. So, um, and then to be able to step out on the floor and what it meant to those players to hear the, you know, God save the queen before the games in the arenas, you know, playing basketball, which is not a marquee sport in England, but it had become a pretty big event, team event, in the run-up to the Olympics. So, Yeah, especially because the Olympic field, it's only 12 teams. It's so much smaller than the World Cup, so huge. yeah so it's just and again I can't I'm, you know I'm just lucky when I think about my career just things that have happened to me so
2: Coach I want to get a get a question from the audience real sure. quick and I, I see a young lady right here been raising her hand all night what, come, young lady come come here please what, what is your name? Charlotte Charlotte what's your last Charlotte. name? Canes oh it's <laughs> my
3: wife Coach my wife. <laughs> well, what's your question?
6: yes well Coach I definitely am intrigued with your story and um, I just feel like what you've gone through is inspirational and um, required a lot of endurance and I want to know how you really use your your life lessons to you know uh, help your not only the players but your staff because it is about leadership and yeah. you've had doors open and doors close and you know with players they you know they could be traded they could you know get hurt mm-hmm. or staff they're not getting opportunities that they think. That they deserve, or they would be next in line. How do you use your life lessons to like lead them and guide them?
3: Great question, thank you. A um, couple things. First of all, uh, you know, I I consider myself kind of an NBA outsider. I just, you know, my I think what my path has taught is a lot of humility. I I loved everywhere I was at. I mean, I really did, um, and so you know, it kind of bothers me if we go to a hotel and people complain about these five-star hotels that we stay in, you know, I just like, you know, kind of, it's a a reality check, hey, come on, like, if you were kind of birthed right into the NBA opportunity, you get spoiled quickly, and I think, like, having to kind of coach, you know, around the edges or take a different path keeps you, keeps you grounded a little bit more. Sometimes I have to remind our staff of that, you know, hey, let's reduce our footprint, let's, Let's be super grateful for the things that we're able to have here. Um, and then the other thing is it's like you just got to put the work in and it, take, it takes time. Like, you know, everybody wants it so fast. You know, whether it's players or coaches, everybody wants it so fast. And that comes from a good place. It really does. And and um, But sometimes, you know, it just doesn't come. And if it doesn't come where you're at, this is what I've learned, like you keep trying and keep trying and keep trying it's probably not going to come there. And then it's not until you leave that environment, you really realize maybe it was dysfunctional. Maybe it wasn't for me. And you always land, like we live, we work in a volatile environment and getting fired or, or moving on is just part of it. But I've always landed in a better place, but I couldn't see it until I got there. And, um, and when you get there, you get the chance to kind of like reinvent yourself or go back to what you do best and and then a whole nother people, whole nother, you know group of people get, can then appreciate working with you and you with them. So um, those are some of the things. And I think a person that embodies that on my team is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I was with him as a young player. He just kept stubbing his toe, stubbing his toe, wanted it so bad, wanted it so bad, and just had to go through these processes. And now he's like one of our most important players. You know? And it's really been incredible to like watch him kind of develop that way. I'm glad you brought it back to the Timberwolves because our boss Scott Shapiro, who I want to
1: thank for helping us make this for show sure. happen, he is a Minnesota native, massive Timberwolves yes, fan, he and he's going to be playing this on loop in his car driving <laughs> to work probably all week till you guys play another game. So our
2: producer Tim as well,
3: our producer Tim, who's Tim working was on this fan. show, another Minneapolis. Well, we appreciate the sport. You know, right one thing there. that's been great about. Um, our current success is we see a ton of Timberwolves fans in visiting arenas right now, and that's pretty cool.
0: That's dope. Discover Bet MGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. betmgm and game sense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices please gamble responsibly betmgm.com for terms and conditions must be 21 years of age or older to wager washington dc only please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER good song the johnny carson theme right hey who wrote that
6: skip who do you think it's your buddy hi everyone I'm Paul Anka.
5: And I'm Skip Bronson.
6: everybody including sitting
5: presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're gonna do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
1: you guys are 39 and 16 atop the west here at the break if my math is right i think this is the 35th season of timberwolves basketball but this is a franchise that has not won a playoff series for 20 years and that run to the west finals in 04 it's the only two playoff series that the franchise has ever won so how much as a staff your team how much do you guys feel that weight of expectation because obviously in the regular season you're building up to to this playoff run
3: now um, Really? I've never heard that before. (laughs) Like most things that, you know, have happened previously to us arriving in Minnesota, we don't pay a ton of attention to it. Um, The history's there, but it doesn't really relate to us. Um, We're trying to forge our own path. We believe what we're doing is real and repeatable. You know, we got some guys that I know are super hungry. They don't care about individual accolades right now. Um, they're focused on one thing, and that is pushing this team through the playoffs as far as they can go. Maybe you can answer
1: this one, because you guys were in Dallas recently, and I had a chance to visit with Tim Conley, and I said, you know, you took so much so much grief from all of us media know-it-alls last season. Don't you want to throw it back in our face how well the trade is working out now? And of course, he was very humble, and he, he wouldn't do it. But how how good is he feeling right now after last season and all the heat you guys took? And like you said, a year later with you know, time to get everybody acclimated and we see Rudy bouncing back with such a strong season? I
3: mean, I think uh, Tim feels extremely proud of this team and its efforts. I think it's the vision he always had. We always knew it took take time. We thought last season it would take at least 50 games to figure it out. We never really got that chance. He's an incredible evaluator of talent and how that talent fits together. We have a continual dialogue about it all. I really love working with him. He's never going to be the type of guy who's going to throw it in anyone's face, you know, because he knows how quickly these things can change. Right. And uh, that's the that's the the league we work in. Um, you got to stay humble through your success. You know, we all sat in that room when we made this the Rudy deal, and we just we were committed to making it work. Um, and even last year, we didn't feel like it didn't work. We probably went twenty five games. We don't have Rudy. We're not in the playoffs last year if we don't have Rudy. Um, and then. Um, you know, being able to continually add to the roster, you know, Mike, the emergence of Nikhil, now Monte, um, Kyle Anderson as a signing. I mean, there's been a lot of home runs that Tim Connolly's hit. Um, and it's not just the Rudy deal, but it's the, really the totality of it all. So. And, and size is back, right? I mean, you're
1: not going to win in the NBA without size. In the West, you got to get through Denver, and you can't do that without size.
3: Yeah, and, you know, they're not going to take their best player off the floor to go small, you know, and – uh and I think also at the height of small ball, um, and the best team to ever do it was Golden State. And you're just not going to do it better than them. So I think one of the things coming into it all was like, can we be different and can that be good enough? We
2: had another somebody from the audience want oh, to ask I, a question. I go for it. Were you good? I go Time? for okay. it. and then
1: yeah. Go for it. And then we're going right.
2: to let you <laughs> so State Coach your Fitch name. Go. Where are you from?
1: Hey, no, I'm David Warshawski. Chris, as a fellow FM alum,
2: oh, you wow. had
6: me by a couple of years. <laughs> Uh, One not so serious question Uh, when we used
1: to play pickup ball you used to make me look the fool by busting me with threes from the outside.
3: (laughs) Um, Why'd you have to do that to me? But the more serious question is you took an untraditional route and playing for a legendary coach like coach Robinson and being from Franklin and Marshall. Yeah. Were there positives for you compared to coaches who don't come through that kind of background that have made you the coach that you are today? Yeah you know uh, appreciate that so uh we Frank- need to see some footage of those t- i need some footage of you playing and <laughs> hoisting threes appreciate it uh people from uh, franklin marshall are known as fummers so it's a fellow fummer here um i was fortunate in my career to have great coaches at high school and college level in particular um coach robinson will uh, be in the hall of fame one day i'm sure is one just shy of a thousand games It's the only job he ever had he held it for 50 years he went when i was there we were ranked number one in the nation for three out of the four years in my entire career we lost 14 games in college three of them to princeton and the other four in the tournament so we lost basically seven regular season games to division three opponents um, what i learned from coach was situational basketball it was outstanding at like you know, how do you manage through um, end of games? In fact, I should have probably bring him in and have him talk to our team a little bit here as we have blown a lot of fourth quarter leads lately. Um, but I also learned that it's simple. We had three plays, that's it. We had three plays. He never changed them. It was the same four, uh, three plays for all four years. Probably the same three plays for 30 of his 50 years um, uh, coaching there. And it wasn't about the X's and O's. It was just about how well you choose to do what you choose to do. So you know, when I look back, sometimes I I compare my career to my brother, which uh, who didn't have good coaching. You know, he didn't have the same experience with, and he was five years ahead of me. And the only reason I'm in basketball is because I followed him, and um, he just didn't have this, the enjoyment and the coaching that I I was lucky to have. So there's a ton of things I take from Coach Robinson to this day from the fluidity of the offense to the simplicity of things, um to the to, to managing the small pieces of the game, yeah. You know, so
1: well look, without your star power, we would not have been granted this stage. That's so sure. to do this on seriously, to do to come in here and join us on the day you've got to coach the All Star game on the morning of the game. We are really appreciative. Congratulations sure. to you on a tremendous first two thirds of the season. Yes, sir. And Wishing you and the Timberwolves great luck here in the playoffs to come. Everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to Chris Finch, coach of the Wolves. And please, as always, remember, keep listening to this league uncut. Please follow us, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast via Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And a lot of fun for Chris and I. We're not in the same room too often, so... Great to have a live episode of This League Uncut and so honored to have Chris Finch of the Timberwolves here with us. Thanks again for being with us, everybody.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that'll do it for us. See you next time. This League Uncut is an iHeartRadio production. Boom, shakalaka. Chris Haynes and Mark Stein.
5: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024.
3: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.